Good morning, folks. I am honored to be your preacher on this Lord's Day morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to come your way. I have no greater friends than the Philip Burden family. And what a special joy to spend time with them last night and today. I would invite you to turn, please, to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and continuing through verse 4. I shall preach to you this morning regarding the excellency of Christ. Does that sound like anything you'd be interested in? The excellency of Christ. The writer in the book of Hebrews has for his theme the superiority of Jesus Christ. In this book, he tells us that Christ is greater than the Old Testament prophets. He is greater than the Old Testament priests. He's not after the order of Aaron or of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. He's better than the angels. For unto which of the angels spake God at any time, saying, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. But more importantly, the new covenant in Christ's blood is far superior to the Old Testament covenant. And the writer will argue these themes along two lines. He'll argue on the basis of Christ's person, who he is. And then he argues on the line of his performances the things that he has done. And the bottom line in the book of Hebrews is this. There is no other like Jesus. And no other person has ever done the things that Christ has done. And these two items, the person and the performances of Christ, shall form the two divisions in my sermon. Have you located our text? Let's begin at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I call your attention to verse 3 first. Here we have two statements regarding the person of Christ. He begins by telling us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He's the effulgence, the shining forth, the radiant splendor of the glory of God. Jesus is to God what the rays and the beams are to the sun. The rays and the beams are that by which the sun is seen and known. Its warmth, its beauty, its brightness are experienced through the rays and the beams. In a far greater way, Jesus is the one in whom and through whom the glory of God is manifested. He's the brightness of God's glory. But not only that, he is the express image of God's person. This phrase has in mind an engraver's tool uh, upon which there's an insignia. And when placed down upon the wood or wax or metal and lifted away, it leaves there an exact duplication, a precise reproduction of the insignia. We get our English word character from this idea. Do you see what he's telling us about Jesus? He, in his essential nature, possesses the exact same character as God Almighty. Whatever characterizes the nature of God characterizes the nature of Jesus. Here is a biblical affirmation of the deity of Christ. What a person. Well, that's the first half of my sermon. What'd you think? I expected resounding amens, if for no other reason than it was brief. <laughs> However, if you thought that was half of the sermon, chronologically, you have greatly erred in your judgment. That's the first half of the sermon outline. Now, I shall talk about the performances of Christ. There are four that I will mention. Number one, Jesus is the inerrant revelator. In verse one, in the first half of verse two, we have four distinct notions regarding God's revelation to man. He begins by speaking of the fragmentation of the Old Testament revelation. Listen to him. God who at sundry times, not all at once, in stages, in parts, God made himself known in the Old Testament times. 
And not only so, it was in diverse manners. He didn't use the same method. He didn't use the same means every time he revealed himself. You will recall that on one occasion, he spoke to Moses in a burning bush on the backside of the desert. Unless, of course, you had read the old Broadman commentary series on the book of Exodus, written by Dr. Roy Honeycutt. There, Dr. Honeycutt says there are three possible interpretations. One, it might have been a burning bush. What a novel approach to <laughs> biblical interpretation. Might have been what it said it was. Number two, it could have been the sun reflecting upon the orange foliage, giving the appearance of burning. Or three, it could have been an inner experience that Moses had. If you and I had been there, we would not have seen any burning bush, nor heard any voice. And then he says, for the present writer, the latter seems more probable. Well, for the present country preacher, the former seems more probable. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Later, on Mount Sinai, the mountain trembled and smoked, God spoke audibly. Later, with his finger, he wrote the Ten Commandments on tables of stone. Once, God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. He spoke to Isaiah in a vision. You see, the Old Testament scriptures didn't come all at the same time. They came over a period of several hundred years and in different ways. It was an incomplete, fragmented revelation. Notice, secondly, the fullness of the New Testament revelation in Christ. God hath spoken unto us by His Son. You and I who live on the post side of the incarnation have a full revelation from God. We know more than the Old Testament saints ever dreamed of knowing. We know more about faith than Abraham. We know more about the law than Moses. We know more about salvation than Isaiah. We know more about how and why to praise and worship God than the psalmist. We know more about the end time than Daniel. We have a full revelation in Christ. Number three, the finality of the New Testament revelation. God hath in these last days, in these last days of revelation, God hath spoken fully and finally. I don't know about you, but it makes me nervous to be around these folks who seem to always have a fresh word from God. I mean, 
it would seem that on the way to Sunday school, God appeared to them and gave them some fresh stuff that the rest of us don't have. Because we're limited to just the Old and New Testaments. I sat in a midweek Bible study and prayer time in my home church in Heber Springs years ago. Make a note of this. It was more than three years ago. And the pastor and some of the laymen were having a share time relating what they had learned on Monday and Tuesday evening at a local charismatic church at a seminar on prophecy. It seems that the leader of the seminar had had a vision from God in which God allegedly told him that there was going to be a nuclear explosion south of Heber Springs about 50 miles within three years. Now immediately upon hearing such information, my attention peaked. I live there. And he said our area up in Cleburne County was going to be a refugee camp for those who escaped the explosion. One of the laymen spoke up and corroborated the statements and he reminded them of a dream he had had a few weeks ago in which God allegedly told him there's going to be a great explosion south of Heber Springs in the near future. But, said he, what we did not know until this week was that our area up through Cleburne County would be a refugee camp for those who escaped the explosion. But said he, that's the way God speaks today. To one member of the family, he gives a word of knowledge. To another member, a vision. To another member, a dream. And the body comes together. And each member shares what he or she has received from the Lord. And the church then synthesizes, puts all of that together. And there you have God's revelation to man today. See law. <laughs> I sat there for an inordinately long period of time, being patient and forbearing. But at last I said, brethren, since this is a share time, I've got something I'd like to share with you. I'd like to share with you that it makes me nervous to be around you folks who have a fresh word from God. I too am keenly interested in the second coming of the Lord, and I think discussions on that subject can be profitable for the saints. But I want to remind you that you ought to make a sharp distinction between the exposition of Holy Scripture and the supposition of some dude's mind. They may not be the same. Further, I'll remind you that hereby shall you know a prophet. If what he says comes to pass, that's strong in indication that he's spoken for God. However, that, even that, is not proof positive. You won't prove positive if what he says does not come to pass. He is a hireling and he's a heretic. Now, to my knowledge, and I confess it up front. I'm always last to know. I, I don't get my knowledge secondhand. It's 
way further down than that. But to my knowledge, there has not been a nuclear explosion <laughs> south of Heber Springs, either 50 miles or 500 miles. I believe I'd have heard about it. <laughs> what does this say about the leader of the seminar? It says he must have heard a jackass braying and thought he had been called to preach. <laughs> he was as bogus as a $3 bill. And the Baptists who went to the seminar and gave money to it deserved to lose every dime of it. <laughs> the next time you hear some dude say, God told me, run up a red flag. God hadn't told him nothing. <laughs> you remember Oral Roberts? He said, God told me to raise $8 million. He's going to kill me. I thought it's a wonder God hadn't killed you for saying that. <laughs> Listen to what this text says. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Do you, is your sanctification thwarted, hindered, limited because of lack of revelation? Does anybody in the room want to stand up and give that testimony? My problem is not needing more revelation. My problem is understanding and obeying the revelation God has already given us in the Old and New Testaments. Now here's a fourth item. Y'all doing okay so far. The fragmentation of the Old Testament, the fullness of the New Testament, the finality of it. Now, the father of both revelations. This is a test. This is audience participation time. Look at it now, verse 1. Who spoke unto the fathers by the prophets? God did. Now look at it again. Who hath spoken unto us in these last days by his Son? God did. Now, sophisticated academic credentials just are not required at this point. For us to conclude that whether we're reading something that a prophet said in the Old Testament are reading something Jesus said in the New Testament, we're reading the Word of God. He's the Father of both revelations. Now put that aside. Now I want to move to this next item. I want you to see the infallible regulator. You like my transitional statements? A lot of guys like Dr. Burden go to school nearly forever trying to learn how to do this. <laughs> they, they want to be smooth in their transitions from one item to the other. But for a country preacher like myself, it's just not an issue. I'll just announce it. I'm done with that. <laughs> and here's the next item. And I've discovered the congregations will just follow you along like that. 
I want you to see the performance of Christ as the infallible regulator. Look at verse 2, the last half of the statement. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now look at verse 3, the third statement. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Here the Bible says that Jesus was the agent of creation. And that he's presently involved in the created order by upholding its unity and harmony and balance. You and I live in a cosmos rather than in chaos because of the providential government of Jesus Christ. Do you have any idea how big the created order is? Let me illustrate it. Our planet Earth is in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way is so large that if at the beginning of creation you had caught a light beam and put a saddle on it and mounted up and commenced to ride from one end of the Milky Way toward the opposite end at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Do you know how far along you'd be this morning? Only about one-tenth of the way across the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I don't know about you, but in my country boy way of thinking, that's big-time stuff. That's major league. And yet the scientists say there are other galaxies, many other galaxies, and many of those are larger than the Milky Way. And here the Bible affirms and attests that Jesus created all of that. And he regulates the unity and the harmony and the balance of that. Glory, glory. Now, dear friend, you may have come into this room today thinking that the sun won't ever shine again. You may be here this morning carrying the heaviest burden you've ever known. You may be here today under a great indictment from holy justice. I've got good news. Christ, who created the universe, upholds its unity and balance and harmony can um, make something beautiful out of your life. Bring the broken pieces of your life. Lay them at the feet of Jesus. Bend your knee. Bow your heart to the one who created you. Call on his name. He's able to restore. He's able to reconcile. He's able to redeem. Look to Jesus. Now notice the third thing. We've seen him as the inerrant revelator. We've seen him as the infallible regulator. 
Now I want you to see him as the incomparable redeemer. Listen to this fourth statement in verse 3. When he had by himself purged our sin. Let me speak of the sovereignty of the redeemer. He purged our sin. He was under no moral obligation. He owed us nothing. He came because he wanted to. Hallelujah. Notice the singularity of the Redeemer. The text says, when he had by himself. It would have been sufficient to say when he purged our sin. But to point out the fact that only Jesus can redeem. Only Jesus can purge. It says when he had by himself. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And then notice the sufficiency of the redemption. He purged our sin. A fact accomplished in the past, but having perfect and continuing results throughout the future. Tis done. Tis done. The great transaction's done. There'll never be any more work done regarding our redemption. Now, you got time for one last item. I wasn't really asking for permission. I, I just was kind of checking in with you. To, I want you to see him now as the indisputed ruler. Look at verse 3 again. Have you ever seen one verse that had more good stuff in it? Look at that last statement. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels. To be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high is to be in a position of veritable providential government over the affairs of the universe. He's not going to be Lord. He is Lord. He's not Lord because he's risen from the dead. He was Lord before he ever died. When this man had made one Sacrifice for sin forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. And on that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging. For the gain of man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil. All the demons and the devil of hell. On the other the angels of glory. And they meet on Golgotha's hill. 
The earth shakes with the force of the conflict and the sun refuses to shine for there hangs God's sun in the balance. But then from the darkness he cries, it is finished, the battle is over. It is finished, there'll be no more war. It is finished, the end of the conflict. It is finished, and Jesus is Lord. Have you bent your knee? Have you bowed your heart to this King, immortal, invisible, eternal, King of kings, Lord of lords? Not it is my privilege and my duty to call you to repentance of sin with godly sorrow, to call you to faith in this Christ, this Christ who is able to save. Call on his name. Would you bow and pray with me? Our Father, would you write indelibly upon our hearts and before our eyes the great lessons of this text. May it bless your children throughout this day. May there be further reflections made upon these profound statements. And now, Lord, may the word of the gospel, this gospel of Christ, Become the incorruptible seed by which your spirit regenerates lost men. Would you grant life and repentance and faith in the gospel as we wait before you? In Jesus' name, amen.